The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I've been looking forward to this team the entire time. I'm not kidding. The entire time I have been looking forward to the Dolphins episode. And I will say this. We get one consistent piece of criticism on this series. People say we're too positive. It's true. You know, people say we look at uh, the bright side for every single team. We look at the upside for every single team. If everything goes right, what could they be? Which to me is like a better way to approach it than just this team is trash. Uh, they're going to win six games. Like who, you know, is that productive content to talk about uh, the the downside of every single team? You know, what happens when they get injured? What happens when coaching changes don't work out? Like, no, we want to talk about the, like, what could they be? We're acknowledging that not every team will reach their ceilings in all these episodes, but we talk about what could they be if they do. Think of us as a can half full podcast. We are a can half full podcast. And I and I I will say this. As positive as we've been for every team looking at their ceiling, looking at what is what they are capable of. I think I might be more positive about the Dolphins than any other team in the league. Again, if everything hits and if one specific thing hits, they could achieve heights that could put them at the top of the league the very very like winning a Lombardi with a bullet like that's how talented this team is that's how much we believe in their quarterback when he's healthy now they've already taken some injuries we lost Jalen Ramsey till you know maybe December but the fact that I still think they have that capability even with Ramsey not even on the field for three months tells you how strong this team is so uh buckle up if you're not a fan of positive podcasts, this is not going to be the one for you because the Dolphins are a really, 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 really good football team. Jay, Autumn, Anthony, roll the intro. Welcome once again to the Bootleg Football Podcast, coming to you from beautiful Dash Point State Park in Washington, or at least just outside of Dash Point. Yeah, it's right there. Counts. It's literally right there. <laughs> uh, one of our good friends, Travis Wingfield, um, Dolphins fans know him well at this point. He's like king of Dolphins Twitter, uh, you know, works obviously for the team, um, is a podcaster, is a Dolphins content creator, and also grew up in this state. So uh, we did it outdoors in Washington specifically to remind him 
that Washington Summers are elite and, you know, come home a little bit more, Travis. How about that? He was just back. He was back for a golf tournament to see the family, but he is now back in uh, what I would call the liquid cauldron of Miami. <laughs> they just posted some practice footage uh, of Miami this morning. <laughs> it's, it's one of the players all mic'd up. I think it was Cater Co. He's like, man, it's hot. Dog, it's hot. It's so hot. <laughs> like, it's all, that's like the entire clip. So, yeah, uh, if you haven't been to South Florida in the summer, whoo, good luck. Even like the September games, not to get too far on a tangent, when I was there in September last year for week three, it was Bills at Dolphins. I went to a bunch of Bills games last year. I'm not even a Bills fan, but I just went to a bunch of Bills games. You are now. <laughs> and uh, it was like three weeks into September, like absolute fucking peak. And that was where like 12 Bills players went down on the field with cramping and dehydration and everything. And like, I, I legitimately felt bad for them because if you're just, if you're looking at the actual sunbeams coming in to the stadium, it, you're watching human beings get cooked alive and going to that game really put into perspective, like why the dolphins home field advantage statistically is at or near the top of the league every single year. Because if you're playing in Miami before Halloween, it's a death sentence. Like, it is horrible, at least for the opposing team. For, for the home fans, they're chilling. They're in the shade. They're yep. cool. They're awesome. Yeah. Away teams, terrible. Yeah, the boss you don't like, you buy him tickets on the other side. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got your free tickets. Go cook in the sunshine. But outside of, you know, the atmospheric conditions, uh, shout out to Travis, friend of the podcast for sure. Um and I'm just super excited as we're wrapping up this series that we have two really exciting teams because we're tired. It's been a long, been a long haul, but these are two teams that are really easy to get excited for and, and just want to focus on the Dolphins. Last year was a good year, but they had their ups and downs, largely because of injuries to the quarterback, a few other injuries, and look, it was Mike McDaniel's first year. Overall record nine and eight. Came in second in the division. Home record six and two. Again, talked about their home field advantage. They did really well there. On the road, not as good, three and six. And the last five games, one and four, to be expected with some of the things that befell the team. But how good they looked before Tua's first injury was exceptional. And we've talked about that in a couple of other podcasts. We've alluded to this. And you said you're excited for this team. I was excited for this team. I wrote most of these agendas in order, which means I was going to get to Miami last. And I about four times was like, I'm going to skip ahead. I'm going to skip ahead. I'm just going to write Miami and Buffalo. I'm going to skip ahead. Do we have to do AFCs last? Yeah, it was one of the teams that it just feels like they're so close in so many ways. And if a few good breaks go their way, they can achieve things that we haven't seen out of the Dolphins in a long time. Unfortunately, this is an organization that has not had breaks go their way. So I have to assume they're due for like one healthy year, <laughs> just one time. And hopefully we get it this year because at the height of their powers, they're one of the most entertaining teams to watch. Um, and they're also one of the most effective teams to watch. Like if we look at the EPA numbers, um, we really should have done, and we don't do this normally, but like we really should have done some sort of like, break break of like with Tua without Tua because it was two different teams um but even then with dealing with significant quarterback injuries that you know they're on their technically third or fourth quarterback by the end of the year uh who's you know still playing well like Skyler still had some some shout good out Skyler Thompson um, alum. but even with that like they still finished with the the you know Top 13, if we're doing like our amalgamation of all the EPA numbers when we get to power score, 
they were still a really good team, even with all of those injury problems. Yeah, the coaching staff in Miami did a really good job working around what was a very significant injury. Obviously, this team is very different with Tua at quarterback, but they didn't give it up. They weren't an easy out. They were still competing with Skylar Thompson at quarterback as a rookie. So for the effectiveness summary we talk about, rushing offense, passing offense, rush defense, pass defense, points scored and points allowed, and we use EPA per play as the backbone for those first four stats. And the rushing offense was a bit surprising. Again, when I was putting this agenda together, this is one of the numbers that I kind of circled and went, really? Because we talk, certainly at this time last year on this podcast, we were talking about the Shanahan-style run game, outside zone basis. Mike McDaniel has been with Kyle Shanahan for the last what, 15 years before, like before he gets the Dolphins head coaching job. So we were so excited about them leaning into this style of rushing offense. And they gathered the right pieces. They had the right personnel pieces to run it. Again, suffered some injuries there. But they were the 21st ranked rushing offense in the league by EPA. That was a lot lower than I expected. If you had us venture a guess at this time last year about what that number would have been, I would have said uh, 15, maybe 12, could have seen it. 21st is a bit low for, I think, the both the combination of the Mike McDaniel design run game and the talent they have on hand, both on the offensive line and in the backfield. So I would expect that to go up in year two. I would have expected it to be higher in year one. One of those surprising numbers. Passing offense, eighth. And that's even with Tua missing large portions of last year. When he was there, they would have been in the running for first or second. They were that Easily. effective. Rush defense, ninth. They're very good at stopping the run. Um, not terribly surprising. Again, given McDaniel's pedigree, he picked up not only offense on all those stops with, with Shanahan, but also, I'm sure, because he's just an inquisitive guy, was picking the defensive minds, too, and saying, hey, um, you know, getting ready for this eventual head coaching shot. And it shows. Pass coverage, this was an Achilles heel for them. Their worst EPA ranking for us, 26th in the league in pass defense. That's really what sunk them. That's what made them closer to a 500 football team than Tua, than the rush game, anything else. The ability, inability to stop the pass consistently was not great. Point scored, again, standing significant injury, almost 400 points. Mm -hmm. 397, 11th best in the league. Points allowed, 399. That's good for 24th in the league. That's not great. They weren't a tremendous scoring defense, but a lot of it came from the inability to stop the pass. So if you take those six numbers, add them up, divide by six, you get a bootleg power score of 17. Again, you alluded to it earlier. That places them 13th overall in the NFL hierarchy. Pretty good considering, and that's where we get really hopeful is – if the pass defense comes up, obviously the addition of Jalen Ramsey gave us a lot of hope for that, along with uh, the addition of some defensive coaches we'll talk about. Um, and then, you know, year two of Mike McDaniel and Tua just vibing and grooving, putting together a crazy pass game. You can pretty easily see the potential for this team to be a lot better, not a little better. You did mention, you know, injuries were, were a big thing for uh, the run game, like Somewhere between 40 to 60 40 to 60 percent of the offensive line was banged up throughout the year. Even if they played, like they they were not uh, playing at 100. Like I feel like Armstead was questionable like the entire year, um, you know. And and they took some some more severe injuries on top of that too. So I give them like a little bit of a pass. I do think the offensive line is deeper this year, uh, even if it's largely the same core group. Um, 
you know, bringing in guys like Isaiah Wynn to be a backup. Like, they do have more depth this year, so I, ideally they will be able to weather the storm a little bit better than they did in 2022. Um, looking at the schematic information, which we pull for every team to give context to these EPA numbers and kind of explain how we got to the EPA that we did and therefore how we got to the power score that we did. Another thing you brought up, pass defense. Uh, being 26th in pass defense in Miami is not acceptable. That's a team with a, a, a strong defensive tr- uh, tradition. Um, and also they're just too talented on paper to be 26 in pass defense. And so what I want to do is explain, A, how that happened last year. Like schematically, what were they doing last year? And B, I want to take a, a pretty deep dive into how everything is going to be changing this year and why... At minimum, their power score is probably going to go up just on past uh, past defense EPA alone because the coverages they're going to be running under Vic Fangio are wildly different than the style of defense that Dolphins fans are used to that wasn't really working out for them. So if we look at their coverage splits last year, uh, they were second overall in calling zero, which should not be a surprise. They did that quite a bit at 6.4%, which by NFL standards is a shitload of cover zero. They were first in cover one. Again, should not be a surprise considering the lineage of the the former coaching staff on defense there. You know, very, very uh, Patriots-ish, which they run a lot of man coverage. Go figure. Uh, They were 17th in cover two. They were 11th in cover three. So again, we're looking at middle field closed structures most of the time. 31st in quarters, 32nd in quarter, quarter, half, and fifth in two man because again, A lot of man coverage uh, in the background for that staff. You can expect this year to literally be the exact opposite. And if you go back and you watch the Eagles episode uh, and, you know, people may or may not realize that Vic Fangio was heavily involved in the Eagles defense last year as a consultant or whatever you want to call his job title. And if you look at other Fangio disciples around the league, again, it is it, it was exact opposite for Philly. It was exact opposite for Denver And for Minnesota, where it was heavy, heavy, heavy on quarters, heavy on quarter, quarter, half, not a whole lot of cover one, not a whole lot of cover three, not a whole lot of middle field, middle field close structures in general. Um, And I want to get a little bit into the weeds in terms of how Vic is different uh, than than even guys that have coached under him. You know, even you know, different a little bit than Staley and Averro and uh, God uh, Donatel. You know, and I want to credit Coach Vass. Uh, I had a very long conversation with him about this that I recorded. And I'm actually going to be releasing a very very long Fangio centric video in in tandem with Vass. He's helping me on it because he's the one who knows a lot more about this than I do. And that's coming out over on my channel. Uh, but cutting down four hours into hopefully one hour is going gonna, is gonna to take a while. But uh, I want to kind of preface that video by talking about it here first because it's going to come out earlier. So if you look at how Vic calls his defense, there are three core coverages that you need to know more than anything else. And he, he will call cover one. He will call cover three, which their version of cover three is like a match cover three that they call cover nine. Don't ask me why. I have no idea. Um, you know, he will call some cover two occasionally. He will call some two man once in a blue moon. 
but the three coverages that he leans on the most are cover four, cover six, cover eight. He calls cover four quads. It's your standard match quarters. If you're familiar with match quarters rules, uh, it's just that. Cover six, quarter, quarter, half. You're playing quarters to one side. You're playing uh, cover two to the other side. And the quarter side will be on the passing strength, right? So you're, if you're playing against a three-by-one look or a trips look, you're playing quarters to the trips and you're playing cover two to like the single man side. Usually you're going to call that if um, if like their badass number one receiver is the isolated guy backside because you want to put a cloud corner under him and a safety over the top of him and say, you're not going anywhere. We'll play quarters against the other side. Conversely, cover eight is half quarter quarter. That is where you're playing a half field safety to the passing strength and you're playing quarters to the one guy backside. And that kind of plays out also like a bracket, but more a more a side-to-side east-west type of bracket than it does a north-south top-down type of bracket. Um, and even then, a lot of the times, uh, if you're playing quarters to the backside, that backside safety, which is going to be playing inside that isolated threat, is going to have his eyes towards the passing strength anyway. And, and you know, looking at like the the number three or the inside slot receiver, if he's coming over to his side, he's going to take him anyway and leave that backside corner one-on-one. When we talked about the Broncos being able to do a lot of that because they have Patrick Sertan, who they could just throw in man coverage on the backside and say, we're going to play five over three or four over three. Pat, you do that. Like, that's that's why they did that, right? So half quarter quarter, you're playing basically cover two over the trip side, and you're doing that so that, again – if their number one threat is in the trips now, not isolated, you want to play a corner in the flat underneath him uh, so that he can't just kind of get little gains on you over and over and over again and, and win with the act and all that kind of stuff. And you're putting a half field safety over the top of him. So what what do you do if he's in the slot then? That's, a, that's another question that people have. Okay, if he's isolated backside, you play cover two to that side. If he's outside to the trip side, you play cover two to that side. What if he's in the slot? You know, what if we're playing against Tyreek, right? Which Vic has coordinated many games against Tyreek. Now, you play quads because that is your way to get a bracket on a slot receiver is by playing cover four. You have the nickel or whoever carrying him. You have a safety playing over the top and inside of him. That's how you can get two guys on a slot. All that to say, if we are playing either cover four, cover six, or cover eight, the majority of the time, what makes Vic's defense different is that he can say one call. When he was in Chicago, they called it ring. And I know that because... I've seen it. (laughs) Uh, And apparently, now that he's in Miami, they have a different word for it. uh, And I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to blow up their state secrets or anything like that. um, So I'm not going to say it here. But if I was on the field for a Miami game and I heard them say the magic words, I would know exactly what coverage they're in. Because they have a certain call that depending on their game plan for that week. They can say an R word or an L word, meaning right or left. And depending on where the jersey number that they're looking at is lined up, 
they know whether they should be in cover four, cover six, or cover eight. And it's all one coverage. It's all one word. They're just playing different rules based on where the guy they need to take away is lined up. That's why they can play so fast. That's why they can play so multiple. That's why it looks like they're they're running everything, but really they're calling one thing that is three different coverages based on the alignment of their game planned against matchup. That is how that defense works. And they do other stuff too. Obviously, they have really nifty pressure packages. They don't just call this this one thing over and over and over again. There are times where it's like, we are just calling quads, we are just calling six, we are just calling eight. But in terms of how Vic takes away your right hand, takes away your comfort zone, takes away Tyreek or Justin Jefferson or whoever, that is how he does it, is here's this one call that can be a number of different calls just based on where that guy lines up, and no matter what, we're going to get the double on him whether you like it or not. Go ahead, throw to your number two all day. We're good with that. And Fangio, that's been a hallmark of his defenses wherever he's gone is, A, I'm going to play my system because mm-hmm. it works, and it's worked everywhere I've gone. We'll make adjustments, but largely this is what we're going to do. He doesn't deviate a ton. He has a plan, and it can be a little bit frustrating uh, Dolphins fans may find this, but maybe not because they have a lot of rush talent as well. He's not just going to go, oh, it's not working. We're going to throw everything at the you know the kitchen sink. We're going full blitz. It's just not going to happen with the Fangio defense. He doesn't believe in it. And it is always about where's your strength? How can we put as many resources as possible on that strength to make you pivot early? Because then we're dictating to you. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a way to frustrate a top receiver. It's a way to literally just frustrate Stefan Diggs out of the game. Because if Diggs is lined up outside, whether he's isolated or whether he's to the trip side, and he's getting a cloud corner every time, he's going to get pissed. <laughs> he's like, I got nowhere to go. So if they put him in the slot, what are they going to do? They're going to play quad so they can double him again. He's going to be pissed because he's got nowhere to go. So yeah, their goal when they play against Buffalo is we're going to make you throw to Dalton Kincaid 12 times. And if Dalton Kincaid beats us, fine we can live with that yep but you ain't throwing a stefan 12 times that's for damn sure no you might throw you might want to throw at him 12 times you might be able to eight and you might complete four to six Mm -hmm. and we'll live with that too because if you're only completing four to six balls to stefan Diggs, he's not going to be the one that beats us you wonder how wherever vic has gone He's always been the one to give like Patrick Mahomes the most trouble. You know, even when he was in Denver and those Denver teams were not very good, their defense still slowed down Kansas City. You know, they slowed down every high-powered offense they went against because, you know, say what you want about Vic as a head coach, but that man can call it defense because he knows how to do this type of stuff. Blitz percentages now, uh, again, this is also going to be very, very different. They were a pretty blitz-heavy team uh, last year. Again, when they play so much man coverage and call so many man pressures, like it's not going to be that way this year, but they were 13th <laughs> last year in terms of third and short. They were fourth last year in terms of bringing pressure on third and medium at almost 54%, which is a lot. Uh, a lot of those were probably the zero calls that we talked about earlier. They were 18th in terms of third and long. That actually is, uh, you know, anytime they were third and seven plus, that actually is when they backed off and played a little bit more zone. But uh, overall, they were a very blitz heavy defense which they will not be this year because Vic really does believe in playing 
uh, coverage first and then trusting his guys to go win. And, uh, you know, whether whether that means just letting them rush straight up because we're better than you or, you know, calling a bunch of stunts and everything like that. He's going to do whatever he can to try to generate pressure with four while playing sound coverage on the back end. So you can expect uh, these numbers to be very, very different. And especially the stunt numbers, uh, they were 23rd in terms of third down stunt percentage last year. They're I would bet they're like top 15 this year. Yeah, we've talked about this relationship between blitzing teams and stunting teams and how if you're a heavy blitzing team, you're probably not a heavy stunting team and vice versa. And just like you said about the other defensive coverages and concepts in terms of flipping these percentages on their head, these two are almost almost going to exactly reverse um, those numbers. You know, fourth in terms of a Vic Fangio defense is just not going to be fourth in blitz percentage. No. Like, I, I don't care <laughs> which level you're talking about. It Just, nah. Flipping it over to the offensive side of the ball now, um, looking at the numbers behind uh, their run game, which we expect, again, to be better this year because it's hard to be as banged up on the offensive line two years in a row <laughs> like they were last year. Yeah, God way. You had to I say I know. It. I uh. I definitely just jinxed it. But, yep. you know, again, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. But last year they were eighth in outside zone percentage. No surprise for Mike McDaniel offense. They were 16th in inside zone, 25th in duo. They were ninth in power and 15th in counter, uh, which for a lot of outside zone heavy teams, you know, we've talked about uh, counter being a popular counter punch for outside zone heavy teams, as well as power as well. Um Pretty much any time you're going to get uh, one of the fronts that that is successful against outside zone, the types of run concepts that are good against those types of fronts are power and counter. So those two concepts kind of go hand in hand. They were 31st in draw and 17th in pin and pull. These numbers are exactly what I expected, and they're probably going to be exactly the same again this year. The only difference is, I think, with a healthier team, the execution ideally should be better. They have the guys to do this. This isn't one of those coaching situations where we have coaches saying, my way or the highway and putting players in bad positions. It's a combination of offensive line losses, running back injuries, which again, we saw in San Francisco, which is just odd. <laughs> it just happens. It, Anywhere Mike Montano goes, it just happens. <laughs> it just happens. But outside zone, I would you know, certainly expect to remain high. They were top 10 might even be higher next year. And power is really their counterpunch. If they're not going to run outside zone and they're going to run an inside concept, it's going to be power. Mm -hmm. And I would expect them to lean into that as well because, they, again, they have some guys in the center of that line that are very good in pulling those runs. And I would – less changes on the offensive side. So sort of more of the same but better with healthier personnel. Ideally, I, ideally. ideally. <laughs> I, is there a counter curse I can throw? Like, uh, passing offense overview, again, probably going to be more of the same here. Well, maybe a little bit better in some categories with, with a healthier Tua, obviously, but um, it's, it's hard to improve on some of these categories. Uh, they were second overall in play action percentage at 38.2%, which is astronomically high, but they're going to do it again uh, because... That's just the nature of this system is we're going to open up the middle of the field for Tua by using play action. We're going to freeze those linebackers. We're going to give ourselves as much space as possible to operate over the middle. So 
pushing 40% seems uh, obvious to me. <laughs> in terms of average time to throw, they were 12th fastest in the NFL at 2.73 seconds. That's probably the baseline, and if Tua stays healthy, it's going to be even faster because his trigger is quick, one of the quickest in the league. That being said, they also took a lot of deep shots last year. Now, they were quick deep shots. It was stuff like three-step drops where uh, either we're just immediately like hit the back of the drop, we're throwing it because Tyreek's got a step or Jalen's got a step. Uh, Or um, if they did work the middle uh, deep down the field, a lot of that was like, crossing routes against middle field closed structures where, again, Tyreek or Jalen are, are crossing the, the face of the safety and we're pulling the trigger quick. It was not like long developing corner post corner like type stuff. It was it was throwing deep a lot, but throwing deep quickly, if that makes sense. Um, but they were second in terms of air yards percentage in the NFL last year because their deep ball was so good at 60.9% of their passing yardage coming through the air rather than after the catch. Virtually the opposite of of what we saw in San Francisco, where the vast majority of their yards came after the catch rather than through the air. So even though Mike McDaniel did come from San Francisco, his approach to the passing game uh, was different. They stretched the field a lot more. Average depth of target, uh, again, this this keeps in line with them being a very good deep ball team. 10.3 yards average depth of target. They were bombing it down the field. They were sixth in yards per attempt, even with injured quarterbacks. The one thing that I think will improve this year a lot because, again, hopefully Tua will be playing every game, is big-time throw percentage at 2.5%. Um, Tua's individual big-time throw percentage was pretty good, uh, but unfortunately, again, he was out for, what, seven games, something like that. So, you know, they, they slipped a little bit because of that. I would think that um, with him back there uh, for the entire year, they're, they're probably going to be at least, like, top 16, 17, somewhere, which is enough, right? Like, that's enough for them. Two things about these numbers stand out to me. First off... Brawley out there still saying that Tua can't throw the deep ball. <laughs> Threw it more than everybody else. <laughs> Miss me with that. Yeah. Air percentage of over 60%, second in the league, and average depth of target, 10.3. If you've been listening to this series throughout, there's a lot of teams out there, 7.4, 7.2, like a full three yards better, third best in the league. Tua can throw the deep ball just fine better than so many of his peers. So stop with that narrative. It's tired. The other one is the, I'm just going to call it a fight. Normally, play-action heavy teams, average time to throw is higher. So going back to our draft analysis on Tua, that he was an ultimate point guard, that he was very quick both pre- and post-snap, that he knew exactly where he was going, he was an excellent distributor of the ball, like that that was his true strength. You see it here. They were second in play action and still 12th fastest to throw. That's nuts, folks. <laughs> like, that shouldn't be. If you're running that much play action, it elongates your time to throw. Second in play action, only 12th or 12th best, 12th quickest in time to throw. Those two numbers don't go together, and the reason that they do is to it. And I think people, uh, you know, when when they have play action in their head in a Shanahan tree system, what are they thinking of? They're thinking of Matt Schaub 
faking outside zone to Arian Foster and, and, you know, running and naked and having five seconds of space to sit there and find Andre Johnson 35 yards down the field. That's not what Miami does. Even though it is play action heavy, it's quick. Like they're in the gun. They're faking uh, the run one way to get the linebackers to take one step so they can hit the slant behind them on the backside. Like they treat these quick passes as an extension of the run game and they treat the, the faking of a handoff as a way to just manipulate interior or manipulate inside linebackers just to to vacate a little bit of grass so that they can get seven yards on a slant rather than seven yards on a run if they don't like exactly how the front's looking, if they don't have a call there that they like. You know, they, they have get-out-of-jail-free cards <laughs> where Tua can look at it and be like, uh, really? Like, we don't, we don't have good space there. Like, I have space here with Waddle in the slot. Let me just say one word and get us into this little concept where I can get him the ball rather than try to have Raheem Mostert run into a wall of bodies. We'll get seven yards either way, but one's a throw and one's a pass, or one's a throw and one's a run, right? Well, if the space is there for the throw, you take the throw. It's still play action, but it's a quick hitting play action, right? Because we're just trying to manipulate space. That's why that number is so high. Um, so when you when you look at the numbers behind this offense, just realize like this is not your uncle's Shanahan system. This is a quick, lightning fast, but still play action heavy pass game. And you need a player who is an absolute distributor. Mm-hmm. When we say point guard, and that Tua was the you know the top of that genre coming out in the draft. He's able to do this, right? He's able to, again, all the things you said, identify that look pre-snap, fake very quickly, throw accurately very quickly on concepts that are well-drilled, and that makes for both a very efficient offense, but it also makes for this weird confluence of numbers that probably aren't going to happen on any other team in the league. No, they're very unique, and and I think the only thing that comes close is like when Jimmy was starting under Kyle and Mike, like they would do a lot of that type of stuff with Jimmy, but... Two is better at it. Yeah, he's faster. He's faster, and he's a better deep ball thrower. Like, and that's what kind of pisses me off. People compare Tua to Jimmy, and like, I get it. Like, <laughs> early career Tua as a comp to Jimmy made sense. Tua now, compared to Tua three years ago, they're not the same guy. Like, he still has that Jimmy Garoppolo skill set, but more. And so, I just don't think it's fair to him at all. And I think people. Um, people still hang on to, uh, you know, rookie or second year Tua and and just think that that's what he's always going to be. It's like, no, he's not. He's literally three times better than he was when he first got in the league. Give the guy some credit. We say that all the time, though, that people set their expectations at a particular point. Some people set them early. A lot of them do. Some people set them later. But they sort of fixate. Hey, look, if you're not covering the whole league, I get it. Right. If it's not your team's quarterback, I get it. You see a couple of highlights or you see a stat line or you see how they did in fantasy football and you go, that's what they are. And you just kind of bookmark that in your mind and you just hold that. And then three years later, you can put up a whole different slate of numbers in front of somebody and say, your idea of what this player is has changed dramatically. Are you willing to change your opinion of them? It happened with Jalen Hurts. Certainly happened with Tua. Even happened with Josh Allen. It took people an extra year before they finally acknowledge, like, oh, okay, Josh is not 
the Josh that he was the like but it still took an extra year before people finally like got on that train and even now you know he's on the cover of Madden you still people see like oh he, he's not good enough he doesn't deserve that should blah 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 and it's like are we watching the same sport quarterbacks can improve people I don't know it just pissed me off it really does <laughs> Like, it's not just for Tua. Like, there's a lot of quarterbacks where people, like, just see them play in college and think that's what they're always going to be. It's like, oh, yeah, you think this 19-year-old's never going to get better? (laughs) Okay. We talked about it with Tyreek earlier this week, that Tyreek was one thing when he came into the league, and he continued to improve. And as of a couple years ago, he was a a fully operational battle station. He was a complete receiver that can compete with – any of the top receivers in this league because he'd gotten better. He wasn't just a speed threading. Yeah. Well, that was a, a long way to go for a short drink of water because we, we got to talk about the power structure, which you've already mentioned quite a bit, uh, you know, talking about Mike McDaniel, talking about Vic Fangio. Um, but there's still some other names that we got to bring up when looking at uh, the Miami power structure overall, because it is a very, very good staff um, with a lot of experience bunch of former players, bunch of former coordinators themselves that are on this staff. Uh, it's it's frightening, like the, <laughs> the group that they've assembled down there. It's a really, really good one. Starts at the top, GM Chris Greer doing a fantastic job. Probably the quietest GM in the league. Never hear from him, ever. Really does not like, I would say, even abhors the spotlight. He just doesn't want that attention, doesn't think it's necessary for his job, only speaks when it's absolutely necessary, and the team kind of pulls him out of the shadows and says, tell everybody what you're doing, Chris. And he's like, I'm working on it. And he goes back <laughs> and keeps doing a tremendous job. If you look at this Miami roster uh, and compare it to three years ago, it's, oh, it's completely different from where it was that's largely chris and his staff mike mcdaniel we've talked about a lot don't need to belabor that point interesting when we talk about power structure this is an interesting structure in itself they have an associate head coach and they have an assistant head coach i honestly don't know what the difference is i think they wanted to be able to have two guys at that level so they came up with two titles it seems a very mcdaniel solution to me they're like oh mike we can't have two we can only have one assistant. He goes, great, call one an associate. Let's go. Like, <laughs> Give him the raise, keep him in the building. Come exactly. On. <laughs> That's the way it feels to me. So the associate head coach and also the running back coach is Eric Studisville. And I went for pronunciation to Travis. Thanks, Travis. Appreciate that. I was like, <laughs> I knew I blew this pronunciation last year. How do you pronounce it? That's how you pronounce it. Assistant head coach and tight end coach is John Embry. Offensive coordinator Frank Smith. Defensive coordinator Vic Fangio, who we've talked about at length, and special teams coordinator Danny Crossman, very experienced. As you said, at the top, lots and lots and lots of experience. We've got a former head coach in there. We've got a couple of guys who probably will be head coaches in there. Um, Mike McDaniel, it's his first head coaching shot, but, man, he waited a long time. He was super prepared. It does not feel like only year two of his reign. I mean, he's been somebody who a lot of people have tabbed as – head coach material for a while now. A long time. Because Kyle's staff was getting plucked and plucked and plucked year after year after year, and, and Mike was still there, and people were like, when's your turn, dude? Yeah, this is the head <laughs> guy. You're taking everybody else. Like This is the guy with the most experience if you really want that system, and he finally finds the right opportunity, goes to Miami, and he's made the most of it in only one year. 
Other notable coaches on offense, Daryl Bevel, quarterbacks and pass game coordinator. Twin- Is it Bevel? I thought it was Bevel. Bevel, Bevel. See, I didn't ask Travis about that. God, I don't okay. know. Well, well, Dolphins fans, uh, please let us know in the I always thought it was Bevel, but I don't know. Okay. We'll, I don't know. We'll figure Darryl. out Daryl. Daryl, yeah. <laughs> is the quarterback and pass game coordinator. Right now, Mina is grinding her teeth. She's like, you live in the Northwest and you don't know how to pronounce this? 26 years as a coach, 21 at the NFL level, former offensive coordinator in Minnesota, Seattle, Detroit, and Jacksonville, was also the interim head coach for the last four weeks of the Jacksonville season. Like, very, when we talk about an experienced head coach, He's plied his trade everywhere. He's back down to a position coach and, yes, a pass game coordinator. It's a guy that's been an offense coordinator for four different franchises and an interim head coach. You know, he was one of the architects of the Russ offense in terms of when Russ was still in Seattle and they were figuring out what is the offense we can run with Russ to get him at his best. Uh, he was one of the guys that was helped figuring that out, right? Uh, it's like, here's the area of the field that Russ doesn't really attack well. Here, here's the area that he does attack well. And, you know, there was obviously some conflicts in terms of run-pass ratios and everything like that, which always felt like it was more coming from Pete than anything else. But in fourth quarters, when they really had to throw the ball, like, yeah, Russ was executing, but Bevel was the one calling the plays, and he understood the strengths and weaknesses of his quarterback very well, and they produced some very magical results when the the leash came off in those in those fourth quarter runs there so he really can call a pass game he's very good at it um also underneath him Wes Welker six seasons as a coach already after 12 as a player one of the most prolific slot receivers in the history of the sport and somebody who for an offense that places so much emphasis on slot receivers could not ask for a better coach to guide a young Jalen Waddle. Crazy addition in terms of, again, very young coach, but very experienced in football. Coached or played in four Super Bowls and six conference championships. So if you want to build culture and say, you know, this is where we're going, this guy knows how to get there, Welker's a tremendous ad. On defense, uh, Ronaldo Hill is the pass game coordinator for defense and the secondary. 11 years as a coach, 8 in the NFL, 10-year NFL playing career. Um, his first half sack of his career was on Donovan McNabb. Really? Yup. How about that? <laughs> and Sam Madison, well-known to Dolphins fans, uh, cornerbacks coach and defensive pass game specialist. Again, Miami just leading the league in you know, unique titles. <laughs> Entering his fourth year as a coach after an 11-year playing career as one of the top cornerbacks in the NFL. Um, strangely enough, Sam's middle name is Adolphus. How appropriate. Also, he uh, he was on the Giants team that upset uh, the Patriots team that Wes was on. So he took a ring from Wes. A little bit of ribbing in the coaching <laughs> room. Oh, yeah? Do I have to listen to you? I don't. Uh, it's a good staff. It's a really, really good staff, a great front office. And it's easy to see why they're so successful as a team, even through the injuries, because they have the right people leading the ship. Um, and the right people building the ship in, in Chris Greer. So uh, I am, I'm more confident in this power structure than the majority of the NFL, to put lightly. Crazy thing to me is it feels like it's been there a while. And you go Greer back and it's now. Like, I feel well, like Greer's been there, but literally McDaniel comes in, imports a lot of his coaches, Fangio's here in year two, but you're like, it's year, year two? Yeah. It feels like, oh, McDaniel's been there a while, right? He's been there two or three. Nope. It's been there a year. It's crazy. 
shifting gears slightly once again, by the way, we talked a little bit earlier about uh, what a healthy Tua is capable of and uh, you know how much better he is now as a player, how much more productive he is now as a player that he has Mike McDaniel and, and Daryl Bevel and all, and all these great coaches, right? Let's just say Tua plays all 17 games. Oh, please. <laughs> Let's just say he does. Yeah. How many yards do you think he throws for? Because I'm curious. I have I have the underdog season long total up right now. I'm just curious what your guess is because I bet it's significantly over what the actual line right now is. Honestly, if Tua stays healthy in this offense, and I mean truly healthy, can play full games, seventeen of them, and they don't pull him last week or anything else, forty eight hundred yards. <laughs> it's at thirty eight hundred. Good yeah. God. No, I I literally <laughs> think he could obliterate that by a thousand, and I don't think that's hyperbole. He he could have he could have hit fifteen hundred by like week five last year. I I legit think five thousands in reach, or at least close to it. And that's I would say forty eight hundred. So they're building in the possibility of injury into this line on underdog. Like, and again, uh, if you guys don't know how the season long pickums work, um, you can take anywhere between two and five names. They have numbers for all of them. Um, and you can you can select higher or lower on anywhere between two to five names, and uh, the payout goes higher the more names you put because you have to hit more names. So, you know, like if you do five names, it's a twenty x payout. So you put like ten bucks down on it, you can get two hundred bucks, right? Um, but two is at thirty eight hundred passing, which seems super low, but they're obviously building in the risk of injury there. Um, Mostert. Is at five twenty-five and a half rushing on the season, which again that could be like four games for him. It is, yeah, but that's absolutely injury as well. They're building a possibility for injury. Jeff Wilson at five fifty for the season. Here's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think Waddle's receptions at? Receptions or yards? They don't have yards yet, okay. but they they have touchdowns and they have receptions. Eighty. He's at eighty-seven and a half. Okay. So are you going under? Only if I want to feel terrible about myself. See, I wouldn't risk it, man. That, I just wouldn't go near he's it. He's a hoover for the football. I yeah. wouldn't go under I, w- I just wouldn't go near it. That That's a line that's so close that I'm like, again, I'm not like, oh, my goodness. Here's the hard one, the really hard one, because, again, it's is Tua healthy or not. Tyreek, 1,300 yards on the season. It's like bang on. Now, if you ask Tyreek, he's saying he's going for 2,000. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. And again, fully healthy Tua. And so much of this, we talked about at the top of the podcast. We're going to continue to talk about it if Tua's healthy. It's a wildly different team. The projections are also wildly different for all the players uh, on offense, certainly. If Tua's healthy for 17 games and he's throwing for anywhere near that 45, 4,800 yards, crush it. Tyreek will be 1,500, 1,600 without breaking a sweat. It all definitely feels like like they're just being cautious with it because they don't want to make the numbers too difficult to get to <laughs> if certain people happen to miss four or five games. But, I mean, again, for me, if I'm throwing 10 bucks on it, like that just seems like catnip. So I'm probably going to be uh, building a lot of pick'em slips <laughs> with a lot of Dolphins on them. Like even Jalen, they have some ones for uh, defense, by the way. Jalen Phillips, eight and a half sacks, higher or lower. For me, I'm going higher. I, I'm i going way above that. I, I think this is his year. Bradley Chubb's at eight. Feels 
closer, especially if Jalen's getting more of them. Uh, but I probably still would go higher. Like, I think he can get nine. But, again, that's one of those lines that I'm like, meh, I don't He's need closer, it. but Phillips for me. And, again, Phillips was my number one edge when he was coming out in his draft class. So this isn't really a, a surprise. But I think he could he could hit, like, 15, 16 sacks pretty easily. Like, my comparison for him was a hybrid of both Watt brothers together. That's the kind of talent I think he has. So eight and a half in 17 games in a Vic Fangio defense? A little disrespectful. I feel like a third higher. I feel like 12 is like, yeah, super solid. Could he go higher than that? He could. Is he going to be at single digits? Like, I doubt it. No, I I definitely doubt it. And again, maybe maybe he's just going to have a soft spot for Jalen Phillips. But come on now, eight and a half. I think he had more than that as a rookie, didn't he? I, you know. <laughs> like nine sacks. I <laughs> We can talk a lot about Phillips, and we might, but I, I really believe that this is the year that he's going to go off in that defense. He showed enough last year that he feels primed. It's so odd just to see a team that everybody agrees is really good be this undervalued by the market. And again, I know a lot of people are just, oh, can they play all 17 games? But just on paper, if we're living in La La Land where everybody stays healthy the entire year, these are massively underrated players. Uh, all up and down the roster. Offense, defense, doesn't matter. Like, I'm telling you, folks, this team is talented as hell. So, uh, if you're a Dolphins fan and you're appropriately pissed off by these numbers, <laughs> shameless plug coming, uh, promo code bootleg over on Underdog Fantasy. You know, if you want to get in on these season-long pick'ems, please do so, uh, because not only are you getting values on Tua, you're getting values on uh Anthony Richardson well Calvin Ridley's bumping up little by little day by day so he might be over our, 900 pretty soon here. that's our fault <laughs> that's our fault but you're still getting you know Calvin Ridley for under a thousand yards you're getting Anthony Richardson for like 3,000 yards passing on the year so there are still values to be had even this deep into training camp season so uh if you're interested in doing uh season-long pickums, or you can do pickums. Week by week, you know, game by game, like for single game totals throughout the year. Use uh, promo code bootleg if that's something you're interested in, and they'll match your deposit up to $100. So whatever you deposit on the site up to your first 100 they'll double it and give you a free 100 to use on the platform for whatever you want to do. Or if your memory's not that good and you can't remember the code, just put your phone up to the screen. Use the QR code up there. It'll take you directly into Underdog if you already have the app installed. If you don't, it'll take you to the App Store. You can download it. And then that counts for our total as well. Keep our sponsors happy. Keep content like this coming. Keep allowing us to rent Verbos in the woods. How about that? Sure. Uh, all right, EJ. That all being said, we've talked about the coaching changes. We've talked about Tua at length. Let's talk about something that uh, a little bit more depressing. Free agency losses and gains. Uh, there, there were a lot of names that, you know, take it or leave it, fine. But there were a couple on this list where, at least for me, in my opinion, I'm kind of like, ugh, that's tough. I would have rather they kept him around. There's a few. And like you said, a lot of names overall, ones that sort of mattered at all, that's a lesser number. Ones that really sort of hurt, I think that's literally a few. I think that's three guys. Melvin Ingram is one. Um Say what you want about Melvin Ingram at his advancing age. He still played 44.8% of the snaps. Would have been nice to keep that as a rotational piece. Trent Shurfield, the wide receiver, played almost 60% of their snaps. He's with the Bills now. 
Brandon Shell also with the Bills. Uh, he played 72% of their snaps. We talked about depth on that offensive line. Again, maybe they decided he was a piece they didn't want, addition by subtraction. That, that one I agree with, I'll yeah. be honest. <laughs> maybe not. Eric Rowe, the safety, goes to the Panthers. He played about 50% of their snaps. He's 31 years old. I like his versatility, especially coming into this defense. He's one I would have liked them to keep. Mike Gusecki. That's the one. Gusecki is the one for me as well. Uh, tight end goes to the Patriots. Um became pretty clear to me that they weren't going to prioritize re-signing Gesicki at the beginning of last season when they were like, all right, we're going to make you block. And Gesicki openly was like, I, I don't know how to do that. Like, I'm not going to be <laughs> good at this. I'm a big wide receiver, guys. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a couple of things I do well, and that's not one of them. And the staff leaned hard into, nope, we're going to make you into a two-way tight end. It didn't really work out, and they pivoted to their credit. They were like, oops, <laughs> you're right. You're just really good at catching. You're great at fades. You're awesome in the red zone. We're going to use that you that way, but that wasn't enough for them to re-up and, and throw big money at him. Uh, and a Landon Roberts linebacker that goes to the Steelers, almost 60% of the snaps, not yet 30 years old. Steelers get a deal on him just over three and a half or right at three and a half million. One of those contributors that made plays for this team that was slightly unheralded, not the biggest name, um, but had that experience in the defense, knew how to play it, and produced for them was a real value. And that one is the sort of low-key, under-the-radar, like, that hurts more than most people think it does. They did upgrade still at linebacker, but I would have liked to keep a landing around at least for depth, personally. Um, in terms of who they did bring back, who they did extend, uh, Salvin Ahmed back at $1.5 still kicking around the league at twenty-five. You know, So for... Uh, Pre-draft Salvin Ovid truthers like my friend EJ here. It's a little bit of vindication. Still playing football at 26. Uh, River Craycraft they brought back for a million. Raheem Mostert they brought back at 2.8. 31 years old and still kicking around. Still fast. Nick Needham at less than 2 million brought him in at corner depth, which unfortunately they're tapping into their corner depth earlier than we anticipated yep. uh, with Jalen Ramsey going down. Jeff Wilson... Uh, also on the older end of the spectrum for running backs, but still very effective at $3 million. Really good deal for him. Durham Smythe, uh, they extended him at a little less than $4 million. Duke Riley uh, at $2.5 million. And Andrew Van Ginkle, fan favorite. Cal Van Noy's uh, younger brother. Not really, but they play very <laughs> similarly. Uh, $2.65 million for Andrew Van Ginkle. So a lot of smaller deals but for valuable, either rotational players, spot players, special teamers, yada, yada, yada. Didn't spend a whole lot of money, but spent it wisely. Uh, in terms of third-party additions, though, here's where we get the spending. They brought in, so is it Chosen Anderson or Robbie Chosen? Like, how how is he it? He keeps changing it. <laughs> I the last it time <laughs> The last time I looked up, I saw Chosen Anderson. I hold on. Let me Google this because I can't keep track of whatever he's Neither can I. Hold on. Robbie Chosen. Like the player, though. <laughs> so ESPN has it at Robbie Chosen. Wikipedia also has it at Robbie Chosen. Okay. So we've the now... Dolphins have it at Robbie Chosen. Okay. So we've now taken Chosen, taken it from the first name to the last name. But Wikipedia has it as Chosen Anderson. I don't know. I think Wikipedia might be behind. <laughs> maybe, a little bit. maybe we just changed it twice. I don't know. Either way. They brought him in at $1.4 to give themselves another speed threat outside. 
Uh, Braxton Berrios at three and a half million uh, slot receiver extraordinaire and return man because they don't have enough of those apparently. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, really good uh, kind of third and or fourth safety. Less than $2 million deal for him. Uh, Isaiah Wynn, who I mentioned earlier, to be offensive line depth for them. Can play tackle, can play guard. Either way, he's a depth piece at $2.3 million. David Long Jr., this is what I was talking about when I say they got an upgrade over Landon Roberts, even though I do like Landon. David Long is just a better player. Better linebacker, more range, more coverage ability, um, still very instinctual. The one thing is soft tissue injuries, uh, which apparently played a big factor in him getting replaced in Tennessee. Uh, Mike Rabel apparently was was calling him out heavily for uh, constantly having, you know, being little hamstring pulls here and there, all the soft tissue stuff. He, he just got tired of it. So uh, replaced him with Aziz Alshire. Uh, so David Long is available. Miami was like, yeah, we'll give you $5 million. You're a really damn good linebacker. Please stay healthy. Uh, so we'll see if he stays healthy. And then the big, big, big money, Jalen Ramsey acquired through a trade that is a $20 million a year uh, investment that unfortunately, like three days into camp, goes down with a knee injury. He'll be back ideally in December. I still think that there's um, potential here to be a massive impact player for a playoff run, even if we're not going to see him during the regular season, because Jalen Ramsey as a talent, somebody who can play inside, somebody who can play outside, uh, and, and both an elite nickel corner and an elite outside corner, which is not common at all. Great blitzer, great against the run, super smart, knows the system because he played in it multiple times now at multiple different stops. This is a phenomenal addition that unfortunately might not pay off until their playoff run. But the fact that he will be back for the playoff run means that I don't care how much he costs, it's worth it. Talk about that versatility. He can play safety as well. Like he is just, he has earned the moniker of DB. Mm-hmm. Could play outside, could play inside, could play star if he needed to, could play safety. Has that much talent, that much skill, familiarity with the system is the cherry on top and is a crazy wild card to inject into what we hope is a very powerful team, you know, building towards the end of the season, getting into the tournament. And it's like, oh, yeah, and we have Jalen Ramsey now. Like, that's a nasty wrinkle for other teams to prepare for. Yeah, because you already had X. You had Cater Kohu, who's just feisty, like extremely aggressive, constantly pissed off nickel corner in his own right. Um, you know, again, they brought back Needham. No Igbenogany is apparently having a really nice camp. And my favorite out of all of them, in terms of who's the depth piece that we're going to see a lot more of uh, now that Jalen's out for a bit, Cam Smith, the the South Carolina corner that I was really, really, really high on. I had a higher grade on him than his own teammate. Um, really bursty, really fast, really good technician. Unfortunately, also got injured today. <laughs> <laughs> because it's the Dolphins day uh, and this just happens for us but uh, it doesn't seem too serious I think he just slipped on some concrete and fell in some bushes I swear to God that actually happened like that's literally how he got banged up but if everything's good if it's not a if it's not a major injury should still uh, see a lot of playing time this year with Jalen out because he is exceptionally talented and has been making waves in camp the entire time to no surprise 
uh, to either of us. Both loved him pre-draft. One of the smallest draft classes we're going to talk about in the entire NFL. Only four choices. Um, they balanced that out with UDFAs. We'll talk about them too. But round two, pick 51, their first pick, cornerback Cam Smith out of South Carolina, the higher-rated South Carolina corner for me as well. Very feisty, very physical. Um, like you said, great technician, always in the right place, and plays with a real edge. Really thought he was at the sort of top of the second tier of corners and that is not to say he is a tier two corner that's to say there were a lot of very talented corners in this draft class and he was a guy that was just sort of slipping under the radar enough to be like well if you don't get one of these five guys go get cam smith you're gonna be fine dolphins pick him up round three pick 84 and this is one of the best system fits in the entire nfl draft from last year Running back Devin A-Chain, Texas A&M. We'd heard some whispers about, oh, the Dolphins really like him, fits their system, and you started to think, oh, that would be perfect. He does fit, though. Like, it's so dead on their type. Like, if you had to pin one running back, other than Israel Banacanda, mainly because I'm a, a Banacanda stan, but, like, other than him, it's like, who's the running back where you're like, that's a Dolphin? A-Chain's it. Abanakanistan is my favorite new country. <laughs> uh, if there was ever a player that went up like two points on a 10-point scale just based on landing spot, it's Devin A. Chain. They drop all the way to round six is their next pick. Three rounds later, pick 197. And I also love this pick. Tight end Elijah Higgins is very much has a sort of tight yeah, end. He's got a very <laughs> Evan Ingram, <laughs> Ingram skill set. And had a lot of cool highlights at Stanford. Uh, obviously, we were doing study on the Stanford quarterback as well. And Higgins was one of those guys like, who's that? Who's that? And about the fourth time you go, who's that? You go, okay, I'm putting a mark next to Elijah Higgins' name. Like, if a coach understands what they're getting with him, and I think McDaniel and his staff do, Higgins is going to be an underrated weapon. They pick him all the way up, almost out of the top 200 at pick 197. Great value. And then round seven, pick 238, their last pick. Uh, offensive tackle Ryan Hayes out of Michigan. Got a thing about sixth and seventh round offensive lineman from Michigan. Like unheralded, spend a year on the practice squad, get inserted, play Always six years as a out. starter. Yep. You're like, where do you come from? You're like, Michigan. Ah, of course. So I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt on the Ryan Hayes pick as well. I just thought it was so funny how you know we we heard we heard a lot from Dolphins fans uh, about. Ah, they, they were never going to invest long term in Gasecki because he doesn't block. They they need tight ends that get blocked. And then they get <laughs> trapped with Higgins. It's like, what do you think he is? He's <laughs> that's he's a receiver, folks. Evan Ingram part two. <laughs> Which I mean, I love Higgins, and he's super explosive, great after the catch. You know, tracks a deep ball. Again, injury was the thing. Um, apparently, you can't be a pass catcher at Stanford without getting injured all the time but um in terms of skill set it's easy to see like why they fell in love with him because he's fast he's a matchup nightmare can't really block um at least not like a wide tight end if we're putting him to go like track down a safety in space because he's so athletic and he can like locate and lock on guys in the second level and pick off dbs like fine yeah you, you can do that <laughs> um but, like, you're not putting him as a wide to, to dig out a defensive end, you know? You're not putting him as anything to dig out anybody. No, no. You know, he's he's a space blocker. That's that's about it. Which is fine. Again, it's a six-round pick. Like, we're not going to 
Nope. We're not gonna nitpick too much. Uh, but Cam Smith, like I said, I'm a huge, huge Cam Smith guy, and uh, hopefully, again, he's okay. I, I just chuckled earlier because it's like, of course he gets hurt like the day we're talking about the Dolphins, and it's in the most weird, wacky, Dolphins kind of way. Like, oh yeah, he slipped on some concrete and fell in the bushes because we're the Dolphins, and that happens to us. But I hope he's okay because when he's on the field, he's really, really good. Yeah, and he's already lit it up in camp. He's been one of those guys that's had consistent highlights. You can wait camp highlights however you'd like. It is practice. It is time for especially new players to learn. But when you start to hear a very consistent drumbeat throughout camp, especially about very young players, hey, man, this guy's showing up. Hey, man, this guy's making plays. Hey, he's got his hands on the ball every day if he's a defensive back. Hey, he's burning defensive backs as a wide receiver every day. You can start to string those together and go, yeah, it pretty much looks like you know, he's living up to the hype. Looking at their UDFA hall beyond their, their draft class, uh, a lot of names, and I'm talking a lot of names on it, but not very many that I actually got to watch. Like, not going to lie. Uh, I, I don't know if you looked at Campbell tape for Julian Hill, uh, but I was not privy to that uh, privilege to watch Campbell tape. I did not get down to Campbell tape. Uh, like you said, when you have a draft class of only four choices, probably going to lean pretty heavily into UDFA to bring more talent into the organization. Mitchell Agude is a guy that uh, spent some time at UCLA, ended up at Miami as an edge. He was definitely on my list as, hey, let's see if he can develop. Um, there were a few others on this list, but it largely comes down to Chris Greer and his staff taking dice rolls on players that they liked a trait of. Um, the only other one that really tipped the scale for me was Aubrey Miller Jr., the I was linebacker. Gonna, yeah, senior bowl kid. Out of Jackson State. Yeah. Um, you know, definitely plays with that, you know, great triumvirate of linebacker skills, agile, mobile, and hostile. He had some big hits down in Mobile that week that – that were head turning. And again, he went undrafted because he's not super big. He's like 5'11, 230, and is a good short area athlete, but not not really somebody with good long speed. That's the kind of guy you bring into camp and just see what he's got. But I'm rooting for him, and I hope he at least makes it on special teams because that dude can hit. Now, uh, EJ, with UDFA is out of the way, that brings us to our final two segments of the show. We have report card, and we have uh, ceiling and floor for wins. Report card, if you're not familiar with this series, is where we take four categories, front office, coaching staff, offensive talent, and defensive talent, and we give it one of three grades, up, down, or neutral. And what we're grading is, where are they now relative to the end of last season? This is going to sound negative, but I want to assure people that a neutral grade is not negative. It just means, in the context of this team, that they were really good last year, they just got injured, and they're really good this year, but they got slightly better in one key category. So I'll roll through this quickly. Front office, neutral. A, still the same people running the show. B, they're still doing a really good job at it, so we're going to give them a neutral. Coaching staff, up, because we're adding Vic Fangio. How can we not go up? If you're adding Vic Fangio to any staff, it's an improvement. Offensive talent, neutral. Some little changes here and there, uh, you know, adding some depth, swapping out one receiving only tight end for another receiving only tight end, but largely the core is the same, so we're going neutral there. And defensive talent, still largely neutral, mainly because Jalen's not going to be on the field for three months, and that was like the big addition that could have pushed this up, but he's not going to be on the field, so we're going neutral there. 
which means we are neutral up, neutral, neutral, which sounds like a negative for a team that won nine games last year. But as we've said multiple times, they won nine games last year through the most difficult circumstances that they could have gone through. You know, losing your starting quarterback, not once, but twice, maybe even thrice. Ending up, you know, starting a rookie, like, either seventh-round pick or UDFA, whatever Skylar Thompson was, in the playoffs against the Bills on the road. They went through it last year. Still ended up at nine wins. So, if we're looking at this team, neutral is honestly more of a positive because it's acknowledging that they did not take a step back. And if anything, they took a little step forward in coaching. And if you're taking this coaching staff with this talent on paper, for me looking at ceiling and wins, I think they they could win 13. Like, truly, they could win 13. I have not put 13 for very many teams in this whole series. Miami's one of them I'm willing to do it for. Not saying they will, because they're in a tough division. They're probably going to split with a couple of these other AFC East teams. But if they stay healthy, they're one of the few ball clubs that I think can get to that lofty height of 13 wins and challenging for the first seed. And my floor for them is literally what they hit last year because I don't think it can get any worse than that, and that's nine. So at minimum, I think we're we're repeating last year of winning nine games and challenging for a wild card spot. But if they're just a little bit healthier, they could be the first seed and have the entire AFC playoffs run through South Florida. Believe that to be true. I'm going to hedge on both ceiling and floor by one game. So I'm going to go ceiling of 12 and floor of eight. And it's an acknowledgement that the AFC East is really difficult. There are a lot of other teams on their schedule that got better. That is if they stay healthy. If two goes out in game one and gets hurt. Now, this is the least friendly result possible. This is not what we want to see. Like, we want to see the opposite. We want to see him play those 17 games. Because that's the best football we can get. Those are the best matchups all the way down the line. And maybe if that happens, the Dolphins will hit heights, certainly offensively, that we haven't seen in a long, long time. Mm -hmm. So that's what we want to happen. But if he steps out there and gets dinged and he has a terrible concussion history, they're going to shut him down and shut him down hard, especially with what happened last year. If you are starting your backup quarterback and then – most likely in a 17 game series or a 17 game season starting your third string quarterback at some point because your starting quarterback who is your second stringer at this point gets injured i could see 8 i doubt it will happen i am much more positive on leaning towards the ceiling on this one and thinking that's the result they're going to get because mcdaniel and this coaching staff that we highlighted very solid i don't believe that they'll let them go sub 500 but again, if Tua steps out there in the first two or three games and goes down for an extended period of time, the outlook for this team changes dramatically. I think Tua will be more durable because um, he's built like an actual fucking tank now. Like, have you seen him? I, I've seen him, and there's two things. The one reason I like your 13-game prediction and why I might move 12 to 13, did you see the sleeve? Oh, yeah. No, that's easily adding an extra game. That's a That's a win right there. So, Getting up to like 225 plus the full sleeve, like, oh, yeah. That might be two Hawaiian games. Hawaiian powers activated, baby. <laughs> that might be two games. <laughs> um, again, we hope desperately, like I, I had said earlier, that if I had 
you know, three wishes with the football gods that uh, in the Rams episode that Puka Nakua staying healthy would be one of my wishes. Tua would be another one of my wishes because when that guy is healthy, this offense clicks like basically no other offense in the league. And I, as a football fan, want to see that. Like, I want to see the fully operational battle station just laying waste to other defenses. That's fun stuff. So I hope that happens, and if it does, I hope they obliterate my ceiling of 12. I hope they win 13 or 14 and just roll and like, yeah, come on, Chiefs, let's go. That would be fun. That would be a great product on the field. So I hope that happens. He runs this offense better than Matt Ryan did, and Matt Ryan won MVP. So that's that's the kind of ceiling we're talking about here because the 2016 Falcons just laid waste to everybody. Yeah, when I said 4,800 – I meant it. Yeah. Like if a healthy Tua on the field at the clip he was running at even last year. So this isn't like, oh, if he gets better. If he plays at the level he played at the beginning of last year before he got hurt, that's 4,800 yards. It's a good team, man. Yeah. I, I really I want to find time to go down to Miami if I can for a game. Late season. Late, oh, God, yeah. No, <laughs> we're talking like Thanksgiving week. Christmas. <laughs> where, it's, where it's nice and like 75 <laughs> yeah. and gorgeous and there's no like category nine hurricanes coming for me. Did I tell you about that? How like I was one of the last flights out. <laughs> you, were te- you were texting me while you're down there, like, well, so I'm not sure I'm gonna make my next flight. And I was like, why? And you send me a picture of like a black wall of clouds. And I was like, oh, okay. I was texting my friends up in Orlando. I was like, hey, if my flight gets canceled, like, is it easy to drive from Miami to Orlando? And they're like, are you kidding? No. How small do you think this state is? Not during a hurricane. <laughs> like, they're like, no. you're stuck, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, we'll go, we'll go like November, December, yeah. something like that. Go visit Travis. Get some good Cuban food. That'd be a great break when it's not like this. Uh, we got one more, or at least two more, technically. We got one more team in this One more division. team and one more summary episode, but I get to use one of my favorite words. This is our penultimate report card. Oh, good word. Great word. Great word. We'll see you tomorrow uh, to talk Buffalo Bills. Uh, probably going to be the chief uh, obstacle. For the Dolphins this year, other Did you than really the actual just say Chiefs. Chief about the Bills? Okay. <laughs> One of the main obstacles. There you go. There you go. Great choice <laughs> for, the, Fine for the Dolphins pivot. this year. But if you're interested in learning about uh, what Buffalo's got going on and and why they still might not quite be dead yet, uh, despite every ever all the difficulties they've been through in the last few months, uh, come back tomorrow to learn about the Bills. Also, one more note before we get out of here. Our clothing partner, Homage. I'm actually wearing uh, a Dolphins. Can you see it now? Hold on. Let me move my laptop. There we go. I'm actually wearing an Homage uh, crew neck for Miami. I got it specifically for this episode. It's extremely soft, extremely comfortable, and one of like 30 different Dolphins designs. They have throwbacks. They have like Grateful Dead Dolphins stuff. Like they got, they got everything. So if you're a Dolphins fan, they have an NFL license. Just go browse their catalog, see if there's any Dolphins gear that you like, because every single purchase at Homage at our link below uh, directly benefits the show. Like, we get a cut of every single purchase. So if you want to support the Dolphins and support us at the same time, go check out Homage, see what you like, and buy it. Easy way to do it. Some of the best gear you'll ever have. Easily some of the most comfortable gear you'll ever have. And they will make our t-shirts. We are manifesting, EJ. Yes. We are manifesting. Uh, All right, we'll be back tomorrow talking bills and then we're making predictions for who's going to win the division the day after that make sure to come back for the last two shows of this series and until then see you guys later
How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get gig speeds powered by fiber from Cox. It's internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Download speeds up to one gigabit per second. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply.